Welcome to Conversations with Toy, a blogcast tackling life one episode at a time. This is the time to air out life's craziest moments. This space is all about speaking about life's hang-ups and ways in which we can leave better than when we started. Topics are all about ways we can find space to be better in life, love, mental space and health. Friday. I hope that you have had the most amazing week possible. We are in the middle of April. Can you believe that? I mean, time is either going fast or slow, but for me, I feel like it's a combination, but we are here. If this is your first time tuning into Conversations with Toy, welcome. On this podcast, I will talk about mental health. I will talk about self-care. Sometimes the topics are serious. Sometimes they're funny. And sometimes they can be a combination of all. And if there's any time where I need to give a trigger warning, I try my best to give as many trigger warnings as possible for when they are necessary. And I hope that you find that this space is safe for you, that you can find a way to learn, to laugh, and to just enjoy the time that you are spending with me here on this podcast. Now, whether you're working out, folding laundry, like I sometimes do when I'm listening to a podcast, whatever you are doing, I'm just welcoming you into the most amazing space possible. I would love for you to do me a favor. After listening to this podcast and you've seen some type of value to it, whether you've learned something, it resonated with you, whatever the case may be, share this with at least one other person. We can grow when we begin to share. And this is amazing content, I believe, that we all need to be listening to right now. With that being said, today's podcast will need to have a trigger warning. I say that because this is Black Maternal Health Week. Now for all the namesayers, it says, what about the white women who have babies? What about the Puerto Rican women who have babies? I am a black woman. I can only talk about my personal experience. I can only talk about the statistics that show how many black women suffer and unfortunately do not live in the midst of childbirth or from complications after childbirth, right? And it's unfortunate that there's, a reason to share a story that there's that we even have stories to share of times where we weren't heard or we the doctors and nurses believe that our pain tolerance is higher than some others um and it's just sad so i am going to give a trigger warning now let me also say that i'm also even though i'm a mother of three i have always and i mean 100 percent, always believed that you don't have to be a mother to be a woman i don't know where we came up with this ideology that women were only here to you know bear children Um, I don't understand where we got that concept from, wherever we got it from, that's cute for those who can. And for those who don't want to, there are people who legit do not want to have children, right? Then there are those who struggle with having children. And this is why I give a trigger warning, because if you are in in the cusp of trying to have children and just not working for you, you may not want to tune into today's podcast. I understand. And so I'm giving this trigger warning to help those who may need it. You may have had a child that has unfortunately passed away. I mean, there's a gamut of reasons why this episode may not resonate with you. And trust me, I understand. But for those who can tune in, um, let's have this conversation. The debate about what is black maternal health, it shouldn't really be debated. I mean, it legit boils down to the health of a black mother to go into the hospital, be heard, uh, be believed, be respected so she can be well. Those are the core concepts for me, right? And maybe to you it's different, but for me it's being heard, 
being believed, being respected, and being well. I've always given the concept of the story about my youngest daughter, and we'll get into that conversation as well. But when I go back, I had to actually think about it. Even with my oldest daughter, my jeopardy, my the jeopardy of my personal health while giving birth to her was not taken seriously. So let's get into my oldest daughter. I have three kids, girl, boy, girl. And with my first daughter, I ended up discovering that I developed preeclampsia. Didn't know that until probably the day that I went into the hospital because I was having these really bad contractions. I thought my water had broken. It didn't, thankfully. However, I was kept in the hospital because my blood pressure was so high. And so I went into the hospital, let's say Thursday. Matter of fact, I know it was a Thursday because she was born on a Tuesday. So I went into the hospital on Thursday, blood pressure not stabilized. Friday, blood pressure not stabilized. Saturday, blood pressure not stabilized. Sunday, blood pressure is not stabilized. It got to the point where my mother was there, you know, most, if not the entire, she was there the whole time. Why am I saying? She was there the entire time. And so she had to basically advocate for me, but they were ignoring her, a black woman, go figure. And they were ignoring me. So if you've ever had high blood pressure, especially if you're melanated, your, for me, my skin began to get really dark. Now I'm already melanated really well, you know, a nice little chocolate brown, brown girl. And my skin began to go from this beautiful chocolate brown to this dark chocolate brown to eventually almost borderline black. My blood pressure was out of control and they knew it. They were monitoring me the whole time. And so they kept saying, okay, we're going to induce. They started the induction process. Now this, she was born six weeks early. We're going to do this. We're going to try to give you this medication to try to, you know, develop her lungs. You know, they were trying to give her stay in there for as many days as possible. And I understood that they were trying to weigh out her health versus mine. I understood that. Right. But at the time when I was saying like, Hey, I'm in so much pain this is excruciating. I was not given medication for pain. I was not understood and heard. My mother legit almost had to lose her marbles before somebody really like listened. Right. And I thought about when I thought about my youngest, I was like, wow, I didn't even realize that even with my, my first child, it was traumatic because again, my blood pressure was at the point where they said I was moments away from like seizing out right? Seizing out. And that could have come with another level of complications. So I was being delayed. Oh, you just wait. She can just wait. She can just wait. She can just wait. Right. They had to do a C-section. They knew that from the gate because nothing that they were doing was causing me to actually deliver. And so they knew they had to do a C-section. They were telling me all the things to be prepared for and all the stuff. So as I'm going through each of the process of C-section, again, telling them that I'm still in pain. You know, they give me an epidural. I'm still in pain. I can feel things, right? And I'm not talking about just the pressure of the pulling and tugging. I can feel pain. And my mom had to like keep saying like, if she says she's in pain, she's in pain. Like, why is she not being able to get more medication? And so I'm really grateful for my mother because honestly, I might not have made it through that time when I had my daughter. But it's again, being heard, being believed, being respected so we can be well. None of those things happened the first time I had my daughter, right? My first child. None of those things happened. Fast forward to my second child. I had my first child in Lancaster, my last two children in Philadelphia. I go to have my son in Philadelphia. I was trying to VBAC, which if you don't know what VBAC means, it's just basically having a vaginal birth after you've had a C-section. 
and I was very determined to do so. However, my son's um, uh, breathing was all over the place and his heart rate was, actually not his breathing, but his heart rate was all over the place. And so they were just like, uh, we don't want to, you know, wait, we don't want to have issues with him. And so of course, as a mom, I'm like, well, then let's do what we need to do. Yes, I wanted to V-back, right? It was my desire to try to do it the old school way. And I say the old school way because everybody always has this issue with saying that mothers who don't have births via vaginal are not having real births. Let me just tell you something. I'm going to tell you real quick. If you've never been around a woman who has had a C-section, you need to stop saying that, right? Stop saying things like that's not a real birth because for why? It is an actual real birth. And let me just tell you, I can't compare it to vaginal birth because I've had friends and family members who've had babies vaginally, right? I can't compare the pain level that they feel. But I'm gonna tell you something. Having a C-section is a major surgery and that crap hurts. It hurts. For me, it was hurting the first time during the time I had it. And then my I, they corrected it the second time when I went to Philly. I told them about the first time how much pain I was in. And so this particular doctor listened, thank the Lord. He listened to me and he was like, I'm going to make sure that we get you as painless as possible. And so I was heard, right? I was heard. I was believed. I was respected and I was to be well. And that is the only pregnancy. My son is the only pregnancy that I can say was literally by the book, right? By the book. I was able to get heard. I was able to be respected. I was able to be believed and I was well, I was well taken care of throughout that pregnancy. I was well taken care of through the birth and afterwards. Flash forward to the third child. My third child, I discovered about seven months that I had developed a blood clot in my brain. I believe on the left lower side of my, the left side, lower side of my brain, I had developed a blood clot. Now, this blood clot was only done because of pregnancy. Now I've heard blood clots in the legs, in the lungs, I had never heard of having a blood clot in the brain. The issue with having a blood clot in the brain is that you can't just go in and just correct it, right? You can't just go in and go get some type of surgery because it's actually more risky for everybody, for me, the baby, the whole nine. So I was put on Lovenox to help with the blood, you know, try to get this blood clot to do what it needs to do so that I wouldn't be in jeopardy. I wouldn't have any issues. However, now I'm considered absolutely a high risk, completely high risk from that gate, high risk. And I'm going to have to be scheduled for a third C-section. So I've had all three babies via C-section. And I'm just going to tell you, every time you have a C-section, for those who keep claiming that this ain't a real birth, every time you have a C-section, every time you have some type of abdominal surgery, you have scar tissue. Now, granted, when I wasn't in the, um, the days of having children, I had also had my appendix taken out and um my gallbladder taken out so i was already coming in the gate with multiple um, abdominal surgery every time you go in there are scar tissues that have to be removed it becomes a thing right and so they get to this third child i have a blood clot in my brain i am at the doctors two to three times per week i am monitored very strictly. I had to check the Lovenox um, levels. So to see if I'm in quote unquote level, um, they would call me and say, okay, go get this medication, go to the CVS, pick up this, the, the medication, which was a needle. I had to give myself a shot two times a day, once in the morning and once at night with the Lovenox. I could not take a pill. I could not do any other means. It had to be via shot. I had to give myself a shot in my abdomen or my thigh. 
and uh, I chose my thigh and it took a while before my thigh stopped being some black and blue from bruising because you have to give yourself multiple shots, right? Twice a day, every day until the end of the pregnancy. Actually, even beyond that, I was on it for six months after. The stress that I was under because I would go to work, I would have to leave. I would go and get this, you know, have them draw my blood to see if I was in level, get back to work. And they would say, go pick this up, pick up this, this vials of, um, of the medicine for your, your shots, right? Go and get it. I would get a call sometimes even an hour later and they would say, I need you to go back and draw more blood. We're seeing something that doesn't make sense. I would go back and leave work, drive to go get more blood taken, go back to work. And I would be told to pick up another different medication. And so this happened every two days during the week, right? Every two days, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, this was my life. And the amount of money that it was costing me, because even though I had insurance, I had all the things, you still had co-pays, you still have, you know, the medicine had co-pays, like it was expensive, but what could I do? I had to live, right? I had to bring this baby forth and we had to make a plan. And we made that plan when we decided we knew what day that we were going to have her. I could have scheduled it on Valentine's Day. However, I was like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I didn't want her day to be, you know, subjected to the fact that it's on Valentine's Day. I just didn't want that for her. So she was born a few days later. And so we had a plan. And when I went into the surgery, I had multiple doctors. I believe I had four doctors for me, two for her. And I had four doctors for me in addition to. So I had four for me in addition to the doctor that was delivering and the nurses for the OBGYN surgery. It was a madhouse of how many doctors was in the room, right? And so the issue was, is that you had to stop. I had to take stop taking the Lovenox 12 hours before she would be born. So we couldn't just have the date set. We actually had to have it down to the hour, the hour and the time of which we had to get in there and deliver her out so that I can go back on the Lovenox so that I wouldn't have an issue. And because I'm having this major surgery, which is now causing me to be cut. And if you get cut, you're going to bleed is now this is why the doctors are in the room because now I'm at risk to bleed out, right? I'm at risk to bleed out. And then another level of complications begin. Thankfully, we went through the actual delivery process. They had the surgery. I was nervous. I was way more nervous and I'm going to do my best not to cry. And I'm going to caution this because this is probably the most vulnerable episode that you will probably hear. Um, I was scared. I was scared because it wasn't just, I knew what to expect for the surgery. Like I knew what to expect for the C-section and I knew there would be complications with just a C-section, even without me having the blood clot, right? Just because of all the scar tissue. Um, I had to stay open a lot longer because again, they had to take that scar tissue from these other two previous C-section and these other two previous surgeries. And I was scared. Like, I don't, know if I ever said I was scared because I was so tired of being pregnant too and that I was just like done so I had made sure that my doctor knew please tie my tubes my baby in days was over I didn't want to have to keep risking my life to have a child and I know that sounds selfish because again there's women who say I would rather I would I would do I would want to risk my life to just have one and I get that and my heart goes out to you but my body was tired it was just tired like I was tired and I'm scared and I'm laying on this table and I have this slew of doctors around me. So I, my, my emotions are heightened. My body is heightened and I'm laying on this table and the entire time my husband's like asking me, are you okay? Are you okay? The doctors ask me, are you okay? And I'm just crying. There's tears coming out. 
And I'm just like, Lord, I just want to hear this baby cry. I want to make sure she's okay. And I had made sure that they understood like if something were to happen to me, please save my child. I don't know of any mother that would not say that. As I've gotten older and now I've looked back at it, I'm like, okay, do you risk your life to save the one child or do you, do they save me and just say, okay, we just lost a child. I don't know what the right answer is, right? I don't know what the right answer, but as a mother, the first answer is going to say, protect the baby, right? Take me and protect the baby. It's just, it's just innate in you. You as a mom, you just, that's what you think. And so I was prepared. At least I was trying to get prepared. So as I got through everything and they said, oh, you did great. You know, you can get back on your shots. They gave me the Lovenox, I would believe like an hour after. So I'm in recovery room. And then after that, they send me to my actual room. So now I'm having family, which was kind of weird. I don't, looking back at it, I wish I would have said delaying having family there. But what I will say is that I was grateful. My mother and father had drove up and they were there for a while. My mother-in-law ended up coming to the hospital. My husband was there. Obviously, my two children came to meet their siblings. I mean, their sibling, because it was no no twins. I am a twin, but it wasn't a twin. And so the room is just full with love, full with family. However, the, eventually my mom left. My mom and dad left, and everything was everything at the time seemed quite fine. Well, <laughs> lo and behold... I started to feel this pain in my stomach. Like I felt this pain and it just felt like this. It just felt like the worst pain. I mean, I'm, I couldn't tell if it was from the C-section. I just couldn't tell. So I began to tell this doctor, I'm not look feeling good. I'm just in pain. I don't know what's happening. So she goes and she does this internal. Now, I don't know what made her do an internal check, but grateful that she did when she went in there, she felt this blood clot come out, this huge blood clot come out. She puts everybody, including my husband, out of the room. She literally had to stab me with whatever pain medication. She's like, we don't even have time to put in her IV. Like, let's just get her, get her this medication. So they gave me whatever it was. They go in and she takes her hand and she pulls this huge blood clot comes out. Okay. Mind you, I'm on Lovenox. Okay. I'm on Lovenox to stop the, the, the blood from clotting. But I have a huge, I mean, this blood clot was huge. Like maybe like a, as, as big as a, a charger for your phone. Like some of the fast chargers that I carry when I'm at a blog event, they're that big. I'm scared because I'm thinking this is it. I'm getting ready to bleed out. And my, the baby's in the room with me, my husband and kids and my, my mother-in-law is in another room and they're going to come in and discover that I'm not here. Like I've gone like, <sighs> It was hard, okay? So, oh goodness, I'm going to get through this. As this is happening, they get me stable. My husband comes in and he finds out what happened. Mother-in-law comes in, they find out what happened. The kids are coming in. They're just like kids. They're just not paying any attention. So I'm just grateful. I'm like, okay, we got through that. You know, they're just going to monitor me. And they did. They were monitoring me multiple times. However, the next day it was time for me to get a shower. Cause you know, when you have a C-section, they want you to get your behind up and move. There's no, you ain't laying up. They ain't letting you lay up and feel that pain and just giving you medication. They're not doing that. They're like, listen, ma'am, excuse me, you got to get up. So <laughs> my husband was like, I'll help her get up. He helps me into the bathroom. He helps me into the shower. I get into the shower. I'm washing, getting all cleaned up. I feel this thing that it feels like I'm having another baby. So I feel like I'm having contractions again and it just didn't feel right. So I yank the, the little pool thing, the 
in the rope thing, whatever it was, and to let basically it's like a nurse alert to let them know. Because I pulled it in the shower, they came, they got into the door, they unlocked it, they get in there, and when they came in, there was a huge blood clot that had already dropped out of my body, and it felt like I had given birth again. It drops out of my body and it hits the floor in the shower. So they literally pick me up and put me back on the bed, and they're doing all the things, and I got to go back through the same thing I went through this first time. And I'm like, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm close to death. Like I'm, when you have a baby, you are, you're looking at life, but you are the closest to death that you can possibly be. Right. Huh. So I'm like, okay, whoo, I didn't beat death again. Thank you, God. Eventually everything stabilizes. Um, they leave me in the hospital for an additional two more days. In addition to the two, I was already going to stay. So I was in the hospital for maybe four days. So now it's time to go home. My son is excited. My daughter is excited. I'm bringing the baby home. They just were excited to see the baby and see mommy finally home. And my son cries when he hears the story because in his mind as a child, he hasn't comp he hasn't put together that this is not his fault. He's so excited to see me. There's other family in the house. Now there's a full house of people in this house, right? And I'm already stressed out because I really didn't want to have the house full of people and my son jumps on my stomach almost like to like jump into my arms to give me this big old beautiful juicy hug right however he lands on my stomach and I feel this big gigantic pop legit my body popped and I was like Marcus my husband's name is Marcus and I said grab him because I literally almost threw him off me not because I was wanting to hurt him or I was trying to get back at him for what happened I didn't know what was happening and I just felt this pain in my body and so my son is upset because he sees me upset. I'm crying. And in his mind, I think he was like two, three. And he's thinking that my, he hurt mommy. And I'm telling him like in the midst of my pain, making sure he's okay. I believe somebody had my daughter, the youngest anyway. My oldest was kind of like looking on. Now she's crying because she's a crier too. And so I tell my husband, I'm like in so much pain. I'm like, can you take the baby? And we got my son calmed. I was like, can you take me to my, take me upstairs to our room? And I'm like, I don't care about none of these people here. Take me to the room and bring my baby upstairs with me. Like they just going, whatever they saw the baby, that's all they're going to see. So I go to the room and I'm laying there and the baby's in my arm and I'm just feeling this popping, this popping sensation in my stomach. Again, I just feel this pop, pop, pop. And my husband comes in and I black out. Eventually at some point, this beautiful, handsome black firefighter comes in and he kind of like, apparently my husband called the 911 and he would, the fire department was there to get there before the ambulance. So this fire department guy picks me up and like takes me downstairs and I'm in and out of consciousness. I'm like, who is this fine man? Like, and you know, at the time I'm like, am I really supposed to be thinking about this? But I'm mean, that's what I'm going to do. All right. I get there. The ambulance finally gets there. They put me on the thing and they're putting everything on me and they they know I'm on Lovenox. So they're like, we have to get her to this hospital as ASAP. When I got to the hospital, I had lost so much blood that I was pale. They said I was the whitest black woman they had ever seen. And so I'm here. I'm in this hospital. The doctors are aware because I go back to the same hospital that I'm at. I go back to the same floor with the maternity floor that I was already at. But now I'm on the maternity floor ICU department on the ICU side versus just whatever. And so I mean, I see you, they need to get an x-ray. They will, you know, they call the people to will you down to the, get this um, x-ray of my stomach to see what was going on or a CAT scan of my stomach. I think it was a CAT scan of my stomach. And 
the woman down there was like, well, why can't she just get up and walk? Like, she's fine. Like, I don't understand what her problem is. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm literally bleeding out. And this woman is telling me that I'm okay, that I'm fine. And that, you know, she can just walk. And I'm like, they actually went to actually physically get me up. I had literally no strength. And I am like, I'm down here by myself. My husband can't be in this room with me. There's no one else to advocate for me. But these people, these women are about to make me get up off this table when I am bleeding out. I have no strength. I can't get up. And they make me stand up and they're holding me on both sides and I'm just falling. I'm literally about to fall. And they like pick me up in the nick of time. They get me on back onto the thing and they do the X-ray, the CAT scan and discover that basically my body just has a pool of blood inside because I'm bleeding out and I'm having internal bleeding, but they cannot go in and do any type of surgery because of the Lovenox. They It was too risky. I already had this internal injury now, this further injury to a C-section. I'm bleeding out and there's nothing that they can do, but basically allow my body to recycle the blood back into my body. So you can just imagine that's the fact that I'm getting blood transfusions now and, um, my blood type is, I don't even, oh, it's B positive. My blood type is B positive. And the way I remember that was because I remember, I feel like my blood type is always a reminder for me to be positive because I used to be super negative like years ago. Um, okay, so I digress. And my father was still in the Army, the Air Force or Army Reserves, I think the Army Reserves. And we put out like this statement, like I need people to donate to me, like whoever has the same blood type, I need people to donate to me, right? This was before I even had the C-section. This is before I even had the C-section. And one of my dad's soldiers from his barracks was in Lebanon. And this is about three hours, three and a half hours, maybe even four hours away. He drives up from Lebanon to Philadelphia to give blood for me in case I needed it. And I thought I was in the clear and I needed that blood eventually ended up needing that blood when I was having, you know, bleeding out and I will never forget him. I will never forget him ever. Um, he just did what he needed to do. Like he never hesitated. And it was a beautiful thing because I didn't know anybody was going to do it. And it was crazy. I ran into him. <laughs> I ran into him as he was given the blood while I was having an appointment there. This was before I had the baby. And so I'm now in the need of this blood. And now they're like, you know, his name is on the bag. It's just so cute. And whew, I get this blood and I'm, he had gave me quite a lot of blood. Thank God. And so I'm getting this blood and I'm just getting this blood and they're just allowing the blood to, you know, do what it needs to do. And so now I'm getting care for and I'm trying to get better and I'm trying to get healthier. But it was the scariest thing because, again, being heard, being respected, being believed so we can be well. Kevin Hart did a movie. I believe it came on Netflix. So, yes, it was on Netflix and it was called Fatherhood. Now, I wanted to watch the movie. This was years later. I wanted to watch the movie because I was like, it's Kevin Hart. I'm, you know, I'm living in Philly. This is, you know, Philly. My husband's Philly born, you know, um, my two of my kids are Philly born. Like, I'm going to always support the home team. So I'm like, okay, let's support Kevin Hart. Let's go ahead and watch this movie. And I knew that it was about um, him basically taking on the role of being the primary caregiver to his daughter after his wife died. I just didn't realize what actually happened. And so when the movie came on and you see the point where this baby was born 
and he's so excited about things and then all of a sudden things turn for the worse and she basically passes away from complications of childbirth. Every time, I think I've only seen the movie, I think I've only seen the movie twice because when I saw it the first time, I cried like the biggest baby because again, it was a way to put a visualization on black maternal health. Why are so many black women, after us being in the, the most expensive country, we have the most quote unquote money, the most quote unquote resources, the best doctors, the best technology. And we have black women that are going into hospitals who are saying, I'm not, a, I'm not well, something is not right. I'm not breathing. I can't breathe. I'm feeling pain. Um, please help. You're in the place where you're supposed to be able to get help with people who are trained, who should be trained to get help. But if you know anything and you do your research, you know that there is so much uh, racial bias that happens with the, within the health community against black people in general, brown people, people of, of, of that are not white. And so it hurts my heart to know that women are the closest that they can be to death. And we rely on those who are helping us, whether they are given, whether vaginal, C-section, whatever you're doing, we rely on the, the care of our doctors and our nurses and yet are not being heard, being respected, being believed and being well. And that hurts me because I've already lived it, right? I've already lived it. You know, a woman telling me that I'm okay. Why can't you just get up? Why can't you just get up? And you know, what's crazy. I ended up having to call one of my family, one of my friends who was a doctor and I actually had to consult with her. My husband ended up calling her. I should say he did, not me. But he consulted with her and was just like, listen, what do we need to do? What, what, how can I get them to understand what words do I need to say so that they'll understand how serious this is? And it was crazy because it was the exact words that she told him to say that alerted them a little bit more as to what to what to do. But what about the women who don't have doctor friends, who can't call up somebody and say, what are the words that I should say? What are the things that I can do to advocate for myself? And this is why a lot of women are opting to go into hospitals. I mean, and have babies at home with doulas. I remember being, honestly, I didn't realize the, the understanding of what a doula does. And honestly, if I could go back, the one thing I would have had, I would have had a, diff, I would have had a doula every time I had a baby because doulas are there to hold your hand and to not even just hold your hand. They're not there just as a baby coach. They are there to advocate for you. They are there to let you know that whatever your body needs, you can do it, right? And they're there to, when you need something and need to stand in the gap for you medically, they're there. They are supportive in emotions. They are supportive in physical. They are supportive in mental. And so I advocate if you are a woman and you are having a baby, I don't care if you're black, brown, Chinese, uh, striped. I don't care what color or nationality you are. If you can afford it. And if you think you can afford it, look into getting it and seeing how you can afford it to get yourself a doula. See if your insurance will cover it, because I'm telling you right now, having a doula is absolutely necessary. So I say all of this to say, there's too many people like myself who have stories like this. It may not be as dramatic as having a blood clot in the brain, right? <laughs> I went in with already having medical issues. I should have been report. I should have been respected. I should have been believed. I should have been heard and I should have been well from the gate. There were incidents where people did take care of me. I'm not going to sit there and say that nobody didn't do anything. So there were instances where they did, but there were so many instances where they did not, where I wasn't believed, where I wasn't respected, when I wasn't heard and I wasn't well. And with Black Maternal Health being this week, I just wanted to make sure that I did my part 
to shine a light on it because whether I went through it or not, I want women of all colors and especially my black women to go home to their babies. You know, there's men right now that are raising their children by themselves because the woman that was in their life, their partner, their wife, their girlfriend, their whatever the case may be, died either in childbirth or the complications after childbirth. Now we understand there are certain times when no matter what you do, certain things just are inevitable, but we're talking about being heard, being respected, being believed and being well. That honestly should be the code for how people look at black maternal health, because there's no reason as to why we shouldn't be able to go home to our babies, right? I'm going to be honest with you. Every time my husband brought that baby up to that hospital, I just loved on her like, cause he brought everybody, but I just loved on each of them, especially this last one, because I was like, what if this is my last time? Like every time the kids would leave and he would leave, I was always scared. Like, what if this was my last time? And why? Because, you know, when he's gone and he's at home, now he's taking care of all three of these children and he's got this new baby and I'm nursing this baby. Let me say one thing. I will say shout out to some of the nurses at that hospital. Um, they did, you know, like they hooked like the, the machine up to me, the, um, breast pump on me so that I can make, you know, get milk and give it to the baby. But, you know, I was like, Lord, am I going to see these babies? Like, am I going to be able to call my mother? And what if somebody has to call my mom? What if my husband has to call my mom and tell my mom that I didn't make it? Call my dad and say, I didn't make it. Call my twin or my brother or my sister in love and tell her I didn't make it because something happened. I stopped breathing. I bled out. Anything. I'm telling you, it was one of the most scariest times of my life. And I have never been in ICU before. I've had many things happen to me and I've never been in ICU until then. And what I will say is that being that close to death changes you. It changes the way you would you look at yourself when you go into the hospital. It changes the way that you um, look at the medical field because again, you know, a lot of times we don't always see, I don't always see women of color as my doctor when I'm in the hospital. Um, and so when I do, I'm like always looking to them to say, listen, I got extra questions because, you know, I ask certain questions to certain nurses that don't get it. And now I'm being speculated. Listen, I am not the type of person that will take any type of prescription drug um, for any reason. Right. And I get it. There are some people that will of all colors that will abuse the system. But there's no reason that they're having major surgery that I should have been in any type of discomfort and and be in a medical crisis. To be in a medical crisis and have somebody tell you, well, you're fine. I mean, the woman kept saying it and it was, it stuck in my mind. I even talked, talked about it on the blog, which I will link into the show notes. Like, how am I fine? How am I okay? How is this even okay to have somebody be at this such a brink of death and it just be okay? As many people who want to say that black maternal health is stupid. Anytime you put the word black in front of something, my God, it's like, y'all was eating black licorice like I'm not a black licorice fan so it's like y'all take it as like to heart people and I say y'all for anybody who has a problem with calling something black anything like what because like for why oh this world is crazy but I say all that to say let's be well after we are heard respected and believed we should have more mothers going home with their babies we should have more mothers if they've gotten home and they have to come back that they're heard, respected, believed so that they can be well. What is so different about us that's different than a white woman, a white mother that's trying to get home to her family, right? 
Everybody wants to go home and count them toes up and count them fingers. It's already bad enough that your child could pass away in childbirth and the many women who've experienced that, I can't even imagine. But for you to almost lose your life, only something as simple as being heard, like take the time to say, okay, what are you trying to tell me? Okay, you're in pain. Okay, I don't know what's going on, but let's pursue. Let's find out. Let's look. Sometimes it just takes one doctor to just take a second look to hear the cry of, a, of your patient. See, this is why we got to get back to them bedside manners. Because when you have some good bedside manners, you're a listening ear. You're trying to hear what the patient is saying and what they're not saying, because I would rather err on caution than to just do any old thing, right? And then I would hate to lose a patient and all I had to do was listen. Listen, I respect doctors. Y'all work hard. I used to work at a medical college um, and helping them process so they can get their degree, you know, get to their school to get matched and do all those things. I used to work in a college. I respect it. But what I will say is this, as much as I respect the field, I need the field to respect the people that look like me, the mothers that look like me so that they can go home to their children so that these fathers aren't having to raise these children. These grandmothers are not having to raise these children alone. These aunts are having to raise these children alone to help support these fathers who are now left with these babies because the mother did not come home. I don't think my husband could have taken that especially because we've lost his mother a couple of years ago and to not have her and then not me not being here. I can't even imagine what that would even look like, but I want us to be heard, be respected, be believed so that we can be well. Oh, what a week. So I said, that's why I said there's a trigger warning on that, on this episode, because again, I have to be honest about that. You know, as much as I want it to be jolly and holly go sometimes, sometimes life just isn't built that way. It's just not. All right, so how do you switch gears from such a <laughs> a tough conversation? Ooh, I don't know. Um, but what I will say is this. We need to do better. And I'm hoping that anybody that's listening to me, if you're going in the hospital with someone, be their advocate. Listen, don't be there just so you can be the first top person to see this baby. Like, don't do that. Like, I get it. Everybody wants to say they saw the baby, the baby is cute, this baby, that. But not only to be there to support that baby, be there to support that mother. If you are listening to me as well, and if you're a man or a woman, if you are a man and you have a woman in your life or a woman that has another woman in their life, whatever your little preference, whatever, not little, but whatever your preferences are, and you have somebody that's going through child, you know, they're pregnant, they're about to deliver a baby or they have delivered a baby, your biggest job is to support them, be there to support them, help them, friends and family. Tune in, lean in a little bit. Just come on in, lean in a little bit. Um, Somebody needs to let y'all know what real help looks like. Let me break this down for you. If you go to a woman's house and she just had a baby, yes, come over and hold that baby. Goo goo gaga, count the toes, look at the fingers, look at the ear and all that stuff. That's beautiful, right? God bless and, be, and, and God speed, right? Do that. But if you're really gonna come over, especially if you're gonna come over just to look at this baby, Come over with some with some things in your hand. Let me tell you what you should do, okay? We're going to have this conversation because some people don't know how to help and what level of helping is. Now, mamas, we also got to be relinquished to help let somebody else help us. I know you superwoman. I was superwoman too. I tried to get up shortly after I got through all of that and try to move and move around and, you know, get back into the flow. Don't do it. That's ghetto. Don't do it. Um, 
but mothers, let these people help you. But let me tell you what type of help you should be offering someone who just had a baby. Come over and help take, if she has kids or they have kids, come over and help take that, those kids either out of the home and let them do an activity or bring some activities for this child or children to do, right? So come over and be of help to, you know, help guide these children. If you're going to hold the baby, let's go ahead and hold this baby so mama can go get a shower. Let her get the longest shower she needs. Like come over with a little bit of time on your hands. Come over with at least an hour, at least an hour. Don't come over for your little 15. Let me look at the baby and leave so I can see what this baby look like. You can get a picture. We can, we'll send you a text message, right? We can text you the picture. You're going to come over, come over with an hour's time on your hand. Bring some dinners or some meals or some snacks, right? Bring some food, bring some water and things that this mother can stay hydrated, right? Offer to send a maid over there to help clean this house so she can be comfortable in her home. So maid service, food service, babysitting service, come over and let that mother get a shower. Make sure she's eating. Hey, how? Let me. can I fix you a quick meal? Can I heat up something for you? I want you to eat. You, this baby's going to be all right. Let's go ahead and get you some food in you. Make sure you get something to drink. Let's make sure you're hydrated. You know, maybe have somebody come over that's going to come over. There's pe plenty of people who will do it that'll rub that mother's feet. Listen, our feet don't go down just because we had them babies. Our feet, be, at least my feet was looking like two sausage sandwiches. It was just crazy how much water retention we have in our body and things. You know, have somebody come over and, and massage the feet and get the legs moving. You know, bring some, some, some decompressing socks. Like bring something in your hand and something in your heart so you can be of service. Like if you're going to support the mom, be, come over here with some and be of service. Be of service because I don't need you to come over and look at this baby. Like the baby going to be cute. The baby going to be what the baby going to be. But come help the mama out, right? Cook, do a little light cleaning, do some dishes, like help wash out some bottles, change a diaper, like come over with some things to do instead of your hand out just looking to hold this baby. Now, if it's RSV season, like it has been, a lot of these babies that have been getting sick, a lot of this stuff is because folks want to come over too early. Now, listen, I know Aunt Buki and them and Uncle Nene and Uncle, all these different people, they want to come over and they want to see this baby. But sometimes you need to let the parents just have their time, right? Let these folks have their time. Let this baby's immune system get a little bit developed because not just because of pandemic, because, you know, <laughs> coronavirus ain't went nowhere, not just because of that, but just because like people need to be able to rest and get used to their environments and get their other kids, if they have them, used to this new way of life. There's a new child in the home. Give people a little bit of grace and a little bit of time. Stop rolling over people's house the day they come home from the hospital. You show up. Like, I promise you that mama don't want to see you. I promise you don't. They don't. If you want to visit, you should have visited at the hospital where your time could be truly limited because they don't want to see you when they get home. They do not want your face to be in the house when they first get in the house. At least that's not have never been my thing. I've always been like team. I don't know why these folks is here because it's not that I don't love people coming. It's not that I didn't love the people who came. It's the fact that I just need to sit down somewhere. I want to sit down somewhere. I want to get my bearings together. I ain't even got up from the couch to go to the living room, to go over to the kitchen and get a, a, a cup of water. Like I want to sit. Most moms just want to sit. They want to look around and get back in there, you know, acclimated, unpack a bag, like give moms some grace, give families, new families, some grace. Cause some of y'all get all deep in your feelings. When my mom says, Hey, I don't want visitors for the first 30 days. And y'all get tight in your chest. Like, relax you got a whole lifetime and let me just be clear half of y'all that's coming over to see that baby they won't even see you past the first birthday 
I'm just going to keep it a hundred. So while you breaking thy neck to go see a new baby, where are you at when the support is truly needed, right? You ain't there to support these mamas or the babies. You just want to be the first to see a child. Y'all got to stop this foolishness. You don't want to come to support. You really ain't coming to see nothing. You just want to be a spectator. Leave yourself at home. Do yourself a favor. Do that mama a favor. Stay your tail home. We don't need that. I promise you we don't. Support the moms support them in getting better support them in becoming healthier support them in whatever it is that they need give them what they need because again what you think they need may not be what they need they may just need to come in and have an adult adult interaction so maybe just sit and watch a little movie or a little tv with them bring a couple little snacks so they can enjoy it find out what that mom likes she just had a whole human listen this woman just had a whole human rather her a birth story is as dramatic as mine because again, <laughs> I've had dramatic births. It is what it is. But some people just, you know, just a regular low key by the book birth child. Those births are just as traumatic as anything else. Bring that mama a snack. Bring her a nice good meal. Don't listen. Don't bring her no raggedy stuff. Bring her a good meal. Bring her a good meal. She earned that, right? Let's show some grace because being a mother is not easy. Again, I always say not everybody is going to be a mom. Not everybody wants to be a mom. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, whatever they're doing, whatever they're at, wherever they're, wherever they are, let's go ahead and support, legit support moms. So to every mother, black, brown, striped, polka dot, neon, whatever the case may be, to every mother, I salute you. We are doing an amazing job. Even when you feel like you're not, trust me, my kids get on my final nerves and I feel like they tootsie roll and do it again. But at the end of the day, I am going to be the best mom that I possibly can be. I'm going to love on my children the best way that I can. I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to get back up and try to try it all over again. But at the end of the day, I salute you moms. Let's be heard. Let's be respected. Let's be, let's be believed so we can be well. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Again, I'm so sorry that we didn't get to chuckle hard this episode. I'm so sorry that we didn't get to do a little Roddy Ha Ha and all those other things, but promise you, we'll probably get back to that next week. We'll see because you know, life be life and I don't know what's be going on and all the things. For those who are going to the concert tonight, and you should already know what concert I'm talking about, but for those who are on some type of a under a rock, the Kevin Ross uh, concert is tonight. It is being held at the city winery, one of my favorite places to be. Um, get there early enough so that you can get your food, get you a good glass of wine. Listen, they have some of the best wine. I'm telling you, the, get a bottle, get you a glass, whatever you need to get, get a flight, whatever you need. But go ahead and get yourself situated. Get there early. Get your food. Get your drink. Get your, you know, entertainment on. Just get ready. It's going to be an amazing concert. Enjoy it. This weekend, if you are in the Philadelphia area, there are two events that are happening for families and friends. I mean, you don't have to have a kid to go. The first is Paw Patrol. So you may or may not want to go to that. Uh, Paw Patrol is live and it's coming to the Kimmel Center and it's coming on Saturday and Sunday. Several shows. So I believe there's like three shows per day. That's what's going on. Then in addition to that, there is the Monster Jam that's happening on Saturday. And that is going to be a treat. Now, it looks like the weather is going to be possibly raining. So get you a poncho. They may not let you bring a, uh, um, an umbrella in. So get you a poncho. Do what you need to do. It's going to be decent weather. Put a little long sleeve shirt on or a little coat or whatever you may need. But um, 
make sure again that you are ready to go the monster jam is basically the huge trucks that kind of go over the the other little trucks they are going to be amazing my kids are super excited so that's what our weekend is going to look like i have some theater to do on sunday so it's going to be a good weekend um i hope you are enjoying this week listen for everybody that has seasonal depression don't you feel like your personality is coming back and maybe that's just me but listen that sun on my skin that the 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 heat in the air oh gosh that does something for my my whole well-being it does something for my mental health so thank you for listening to this episode thank you for supporting again i can't stress this enough if this resonated with you if you want somebody else to understand and hear the story about you know my crazy child uh, childbirth story and again so that you can feel empowered the biggest thing I want you to take away from this episode is that you have to be empowered. You have to find a way to advocate. And sometimes you may even have to go over somebody. Listen, I don't have no problem um, calling the patient advocate people. I don't have a problem doing any of that because the way that people are dying at the hands of a doctor and a nurse who has sworn oath to take care of is just ridiculous out here. And that's not even just with maternal health. That's with all kinds of things. I'm always going to stand for making sure people are heard, respected, believed so they can be well. Have the most amazing weekend. Happy Friday. Um, Do we even have a drink of the day? Should we have a drink of the day? I mean, it is Friday. The weather has been weathering. It's been doing what it needs to do. Let's see if we want to have a, I don't know. Should we? It's Friday. Let's go ahead and do a drink of the day. Today's drink of the day is a lavender martini. A lavender martini. Now, why lavender martini is because we are in the cuffs of good spring weather and we want to celebrate that. Nothing is more beautiful than seeing a beautiful blue or purple hue drink. It will be in the show notes so that you can make your own lavender martini. I love lavender. I usually put a little bit of lavender in my tea. Oh, it's good. You get a little frother. Listen, you don't know if you don't know nothing until you lived and just had a little bit of lavender or anything. But today's drink of the day is a lavender martini. The, in the show notes will be the recipe so you can make your own. I want you to let your hair down a little bit. Just take a deep breath. All the stress that you've had all week long. I'm sure you've had it because I've had it. Go ahead and give it a deep breath. Let that escape you. Let that move away from you so you can enjoy this weekend. And just find one activity. I always say this. Find one activity that you love that is for you. Thank you for listening to this episode. I can't wait to talk with you next week. And thank you for listening to Conversations with Toy. Thank you as always for joining me. And I know that even in the deepest or joyful conversations, that there's something we can learn and apply. Until next time, I hope that you are doing better. If not, we will be back to talk some more and handle it. Peace to you and yours. Stay grounded.